0: Thanks for joining us for today's message We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life Then let us know by sending us an email to timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at TimberlakeChurch.com give. Enjoy the message. <laughs> uh, well, how are you doing today? Good. Well, I'm glad you're here. I want to welcome all of those watching in our other campuses as well, uh, in Bothell, Castle Rock, Issaquah, Duval. Can we uh, welcome them and give them a hand? Well, uh, it, a lot's gone on this last week. How many of you were uh, happy that the Patriots won last week? Good. How many of you are just good human beings? Yeah, you are right there. Yeah. Uh, wow, that was quite a... And then this week, we have... Uh, what's happening on Tuesday? Some of you are not sure. Uh, you're going to be one of those people who are going like to those roadside flower stands. Nothing says I love you more than hey I picked up some flowers on the uh, at some supermarket or something like that. Well, it, it is the season of love and we are closing out our series All You Need Is Love. People are in love with love. If you're uh Not sure of that. There's a true story, Uh, actually I believe it was shared a number of years ago. It's back from uh, 2000. There was a computer virus uh, that began in the Philippines and it spread throughout the entire world. It was uh, one of the fastest spreading computer viruses in history. In three hours, it had affected uh, every continent, the FBI, the CIA, uh, the State Department, And in fact, the British Parliament had to unplug their computers uh, from the walls. And it started because it was written by a 20-year-old computer science student in the Philippines. Actually, he wasn't a student. He applied to get in uh, to the computer sciences department at his university. And they rejected him because they didn't think he had enough talent. And so he wanted to prove to them uh, that he was uh, an effective programmer. And you wonder, how would this affect uh, every continent within a few hours, uh, even uh, all these super secret agencies, people who should know better? Because we all know about computer viruses. It's not uh, the, the email, and this was an email that causes a virus. What do you want to never do? Open the attachment, right? And Do you know know what got all these people? You think about them. These are spies, CIA agents, the IRS. Every computer, people open it. They threw caution to the wind. And you know why? Do you know what the attachment said? I love you. There were people at the IRS, and they were going, somebody loves me. (laughs) there were spies and literally spies. Somebody loves me. People will do crazy things for love. Is that true or true? Yeah, that is true. Well, we, uh, we know that God has designed us for love. And in fact, in this series, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, known as the love chapter in the Bible. And uh, we've been looking at parts of this, and I, this week as we uh, wrap this up, we're going to look at some things to avoid. Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It says, love is patient, love is kind, and then it gets to the negative. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Well, what do we do when uh, we understand what love is? But we we come to uh, maybe a, a relationship that we're in right now, a relationship from our past, and uh, when you just say, "Hey, we're we're bad for each other," have you heard people say that we're we're just sort of bad for each other? And you would think that uh, as you look at religious books, that that they would not understand this. You know, a lot of t- if you've read especially any comparative religion, some of the stories seem almost fanciful. But in the Bible, there are accounts of real people who make some real mistakes along the way. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of those accounts. In fact, one that you've heard, even if you've never been around church or the Bible. Uh, And we're going to separate legend uh, from fact. Let me give you a little bit of a background before we look at this, though. Uh, This was a time for the nation of Israel where they didn't have a king, a ruler, But from time to time, God would raise up people who would be spiritual leaders, uh, both men and women, uh, and political leaders, when they were in a time of crisis. And one of the people that God raises up is this guy named Samson. And uh, Samson was a guy who had a lot of personal faults. He was impulsive. Uh, He was uh, pretty promiscuous as well. And it's his relationships, especially his sexual relationships with uh, women, that had gotten him in a lot of trouble along the way. Well, the last relationship is with uh, someone named Delilah. And this is a couple who is really uh, bad for each other in so many ways. Uh, here's, Here's what it says. Sometime later... Uh, and uh, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorak whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, "Uh, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength. Now, just to tell you a little bit what's going on there, the Philistines uh, were the occupying uh, uh, government of the time. The, the Jewish people were under the, the thumb and the rule of the Philistines, and they had been uh, oppressing them and, and forced them into labor and all of that. So uh, th- God had raised up this person, Samson, who was a leader, was helping them uh, to break free, but he had a lot of his own personal faults says, see if you can lure him into showing the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Well, you think about this. <laughs> well, there's a lot to be said about that one, but... Yeah. <laughs> But, but really, uh, come on back, everyone. So what we're, uh, oh, well. So, but, but you think about this. Uh, there, have you ever known someone who's sort of, uh, when they pick out, whose picker is off, when it comes to picking the right uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, who sort of just always ends up picking bad people? You ever know anyone like that? You ever been anyone like that? Yeah, you no, know, we, we've all uh, been there. And that was Samson. Uh, he fell in love with a woman who was from a pagan background, uh, and by the way, if you've gone from relationship to relationship, and uh, they're not working out, by the way, don't want to you know, beat you up for uh, making bad choices along the way, but do want to help you, uh, because I've seen this time and time again. Uh, and I mentioned this before. I'll talk to especially, uh, you know, young ladies. and Oh yeah, I like the bad boys. Well, why doesn't work? Why doesn't it work out? They treat me bad. <laughs> well, okay, you know, uh, you, you have to be careful. Who you, you don't? If you're looking for someone who's perfect, you're not going to find it this side of heaven. But sometimes we'll pick people who uh, can maybe make bad decisions in, in how they live their life, how they spend their money, maybe how they treat you verbally. And if someone's treating you like that when you're dating, be careful, because you're on good behavior when you're dating. And later on, it'll only go uh, and become worse. Well, well, Samson, he was someone who had made a lot of uh, bad choices in, in his life. And uh, so we see that Delilah, she's she's... Selling him out. She doesn't care about him. And so he's a little bit, he's a little bit paranoid. Uh, and you've heard the old saying, just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean they're not out to get you. And so his paranoia serves him well at first. Uh, he answers her, and Samson answered and said, if anyone ties me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. And so he says that uh, to her, and uh, she quickly goes off and sells them out. And we read this. Uh, With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings strings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. So what would you do at this point if you were Samson? I wouldn't, well, one, you'd probably, hopefully end the relationship and uh, you certainly wouldn't uh, you know, tell her anything. But he, he just keeps on going down the same road. And here's the thing. It seems crazy, doesn't it? You're saying, okay, this, this, this can't be true. This can't be true. Ha- have you ever known someone who's been in a relationship, even people who will physically abuse them, and they'll just keep on going back and back again? And it's a crazy decision that we see around love, that's that toxic love. That's not that love that's from uh, God. And again, I know there are some people who are, you know, you view any mistake anyone makes as toxic and horrible, and, and that's not true. And that's a you problem, not a them problem. But there are some things that are toxic. So here's what we, we see what happens it said, and uh, then she said to him, uh, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me. And so it had happened again and again and again. We, I'm uh, truncating the story for us. And haven't told me the secret of your great strength. So uh, she's mad at him, and this uh, game of cat and mouse continues. Uh, but he sticks with her because he is stupid, and he's in love. And... <laughs> Again, it's just very, very real here, isn't it? Uh, So she doesn't trust him, he doesn't trust her, and they continue. Now, this is sort of funny. I think this is funny. The Bible has a lot of humor. Uh, It says, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it, so he told her everything. (laughs) Now, just because I don't want to sleep on the couch tonight, I'm not going to have a lot of comments there, but, uh, but uh, isn't it, its crazy, it's nagging, it's prodding, it's exasperation that finally uh, gets them to be honest with each other, and I hope for some of you I just confirmed your current strategy. This is, this is a bad thing, by the way. This is what the Bible is saying. Uh, so, and and then we see it's ultimately his demise. It says, after uh, putting him to sleep on her lap, uh, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. And then my friend, uh, Rick Anlow, who preaches here sometimes, he, he's said this before, and I agree with him, that this is the saddest verse in the Bible. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. After that, he's subdued. Uh, they capture him. They poke out his eyes. He's taken prisoner. Uh, and at the end of the story, finally, there's one sense of redemption where uh, he crushes himself and her and everyone and 3,000 people die. Cheery little story, isn't it? (laughs) So you see it, and it's meant to be a cautionary tale. It's meant to be of don't go here in your life and in your relationship. And see, it's not something that had to happen. His parents, if you read through uh, the book of Judges, there's four chapters given to Samson in his life. His parents had pleaded with him. Other people had pleaded with him. But he wasn't taking advice from anyone. He was saying, let me make my own decisions. And you've been, I've been there, you've been there too. And you've said the same thing. And then sometimes we blame other people for the outcome, don't we? When maybe God is saying, you can make a different decision. The first week, I talked about how love is not a feeling or an attitude. Love is a choice. But here's the great news in love being a choice. Even if things are bad, even if your relationship right now is pretty toxic, even if it feels like it's beyond hope, is that choice means we can change. Choice means that you and I have the power to change. And so what I want to look at is uh, what we're told in 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see this cautionary tale is to displace really what I call the love killers in your relationship. There's a bunch of things that we're told should not be present in our relationship. And what are those? And I want to get very practical. The first love killer is pride. Pride is—it's uh, cancerous, and not the kind of pride like, "Hey, I accomplished something," the kind of pride that, "Hey, I'm better than you, I'm more valuable than you are." Kind of pride, and we see it all the time. In fact, I was talking to a guy. Uh, uh, I mean, the. You know, I'm sure a good guy, and and he was telling me just all the wonderful things he had accomplished. I didn't have to build him up because he was building himself up. And the entire time, it was interesting, Uh, he had, well, this is what we used to call him. Have you ever heard the term a bat in the cave? He had a booger in his nose. And so he's telling me how awesome he is and all I can look at the whole time. And so I'm trying to help him out a little. I, this, this just happened this week, and so I'm trying to help him out, going like this a little bit, going like this, you know, grabbing. Hey, can I get that thing for you? And, and uh, the <laughs> I wouldn't do that, but I wanted to. I looked away. The funny thing is, is here's here's what a lot of us, you may be accomplished, you may do, but we all have we all have our own bats in the cave. And we have our flaws, and if other people were going to point them out, we'd feel stupid and silly and we'd feel crushed. But, but we often, we don't have a hard time doing that with other people. See, it says this about love, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And you know how this plays out at work, someone else gets a promotion and all you have to do is talk about how there's such a kiss up or something like that. Instead of being able to celebrate someone else's uh, accomplishments. What's the antidote to this? The antidote is thankfulness. Where we're thankful for who we are, for what we have. In a marriage, uh, what does that mean? It means I'm thankful for the effort you've put in. I'm thankful that maybe you've given up your career to help raise the kids. I'm thankful that even though I don't like the fact you're working late, that I know that one of the reasons you're doing that is so there can be financial provision. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See that there's a, a humility, and humility is lived out when we're, when we can actually be thankful for the other. But what about the things that are going right? Here's another love killer, is disrespect. And, and I want to camp here because this is such a big uh, deal. There's a book written a number of years ago called Love and Respect uh, because scripturally it really talks about this being key uh, for all of us. Uh, it says this in verse. Uh, Corinthians 13, 5, it says, it does not dishonor others. John Gottman, who I talked about last week when, I, when we were talking about uh, affection and sexual intimacy in a marriage relationship, he, he can tell, and, and with accuracy uh, of over 95%, whether or not people will be married, uh, I believe it is in five years, and he can tell in 15 minutes. And he's right over 95% of the time. He's only looking for one thing, contempt. He said if there's contempt, then his prediction is the marriage won't last. Isn't it interesting? He knows nothing about how much time they have, about their faithfulness, about what their uh, uh, intimacy, how much they enjoy uh, that together, how finances, kids. That one thing, contempt, can ruin a relationship. By the way, you want to work? You 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 want to lose your job? Be amazing at what you do and show contempt. Want to kill a friendship? Contempt is really a poison that can ruin everything. And you know what? You know what's interesting? is I think a lot of us, this is where we need to choose who our friends are. If, uh, and again, I'm talking a little bit more about marriage than I intended to today, but uh, if, your, if your best friends are always talking negatively about their spouse or their boyfriend or girlfriend, they're gonna feed that part of your soul. Be careful. I'm not saying end the relationship, but definitely confront the issue. If you're doing it, See, that's that's a contempt. And see, the antidote to this is to honor. It's how you speak about someone when they're not around. It's putting their needs above yours. It's interesting, one of the uh, top ten, the ten commandments in the Bible, and this has to do not with uh, marriage, but it has to do with parents, it's to honor your mother and father, right? And uh, why does it say to do that? It doesn't say to do it because it comes naturally. God never gives you a command for anything that you would... He doesn't give you the command to breathe because he knows you're going to breathe. There's no breathe command in the whole Bible. He says to honor because he knows that there will be the temptation to dishonor others and he knows that there will be people in your life who will do things that are dishonorable, but you choose to give that honor. Honor, honor. I think for some, it's for some of you that are in a problem relationally, and maybe it's maybe it's with spouse, maybe it's with parents, maybe it's something like that, and, and that can save your relationship. And in fact, it in the marriage context, it says this: each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the my, wife must respect her husband. And then the third love killer in a relationship, is selfishness. Now, uh, I know uh, that, you know, that's not much of a problem, right? We all tend to be selfish. Would you admit, would you admit that you tend to be a little bit selfish? Or are you just all liars here today? Yeah, the, uh, yeah the, uh, we all. What is selfishness? Selfishness is that me-first attitude. Self-in- selfishness in uh, a marriage is making decisions for the both of you without including your spouse. It's expecting them to be available for you all the time without scheduling together. It's spending money without uh, mutual consent. It's, by, by the way, that's sort of, and this is a little hobby horse of mine, and so this is, this is Ben, not Bible. Just want to let you know this. If you're not unified around money, you're going to have a hard time being unified. Uh, my uh, wife and I, one of the things we, uh, or early on, we decided, hey, whenever we spend money, and I, I forget what the rule was early on, it was over $100, uh, that we would always talk to each other. Now, later, we got rid of that rule because my phone was ringing off the hook. No, the, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, selfishness is not cleaning up after yourself seriously Uh, selfishness is always wanting your way it's not putting up putting the toilet seat back up for your husband these are uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) don't email me It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, that this is what love is not. And I'm having a little fun. It said, it is not self-seeking. So if it's not self-seeking, then what it is? Love is other-seeking, by definition, by God, who it says, the Bible says, God is love. And so what is the antidote to that? It's serving. And, and, and again, this is you cannot demand this of someone else it's something that we do and it's not just having you know good intentions oh i you know that was my intention you know you you probably heard this from your grandma or you know the road to you know where is paved with good intentions right it's the action and you know what's, what was important though is finding a way the other person wants to be served uh, that's a great book, and, and I'm sure you've maybe you've heard of it before. The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, and, and you, you get to understand what. How does a person receive love? And when I understand that, then my goal is not to give them love in how I want it, but in how they receive. And, and one of those, in particular, is acts of service. You know, those tangible acts of service says this in Ephesians 5.25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I, you know, I'm one of these people, and if you've heard me speak on uh, marriage before, and I know people have different backgrounds and how you approach marriage, our, ours, honestly, is uh, uh, more the egalitarian sort of approach in that. But it doesn't mean we're the same. We have different roles in our marriage because the Bible. And here's one of the different roles is that the husband is supposed to go first in sacrifice. And all the women said, Praise God. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But the, again, you can't demand that. But that's how you lead. See, it does, see, it's funny, I know we get, okay, some of you are going to get mad at me. It does say the man is supposed to lead, like Jesus, who gave his life up for us. And Jesus said, I have become servant of all. And you're like, all I wanted was a remote, dude. No, leadership. Leadership. Always starts with service. Another love toxin is anger. And by the way, you know, we can be so self-deceived around anger because there's outbursts of anger, right? And then there's brooding anger. You know the person, You know that person who's angry and they don't say anything, but you're very frightened? <laughs> then there's passive-aggressive anger. And you know what the Bible says is the worst kind of anger? No, they're all the same. Because they will all produce the same thing. But it says this, love is not easily angered. You know what I love about that? It doesn't say love is never angry. It just says it's not my default that I go to. And part of that, and I think if you read the scripture, and it's important to read this in order, is that if I'm honoring and thankful and serving... If, I see, if I'm not full of pride and I see the best in you, then I'm probably not going to, to lead with anger. And the antidote to that, obviously, is peace. But it's not just the peace that we have. It's the kind of peace that God gives and then that we live in. It says this in Ephesians 4.3, and by the way, this Ephesians 4 passage, I'm going to be doing a whole uh, series on the book of Ephesians probably sometime uh, this year, and I'll, I'll get back to this, but you guys won't remember it, so I'll go ahead and talk about it a little bit now. Uh, so uh, Ephesians 4.3, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And, and it's interesting, if you read on this passage... Uh, it, it talks a lot how we, how we achieve that. I've been thinking about this too, especially uh, this political season seems like it will never end. Uh, and in fact, I was going to, I went to a few funerals, and and I was actually off social media and off the news for five days. Five of the best days in my life. I just got to let you know that. Uh, but there's all this, uh, you know, people have division, and it, the Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about how you solve division, and it's important, and I think it's really important, especially uh, whether it's in a relationship or if you're hyper-partisan, but if Jesus is your Lord, it says this, that there's, the unity is through one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one God and Father of all. The unity has nothing to do with your opinion or your beliefs. It has to say, I live under the authority of God. And so before I, I, nothing that I want to say or that's my opinion is more important than God's authority in my life. And when I understand that, that I live under authority, then I can subordinate things. I'm not saying, you know, I, I believe in, like politics, I, I believe in voting and being involved and uh, been part of uh, part of a lot of people's lives. But unity comes. Unity comes when we know who we believe in and who we're hoping in. Unity comes in a marriage, is if you can come around the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, you can't make another person believe something. I get that, nor should you. Uh, I think one of the reasons that I love our country is because uh, we all get to choose if we serve God or not. But if you can come together around the lordship of Jesus Christ, one, it will change your marriage in a way that you, you never thought. I've seen it happen again. I've seen and I, you know, I, I don't know why. I, I'm, I try to be optimistic, but every once in a while, I've had this. I've shared story after story. couple come to me, and, they'll, and I'm just sort of a straight shrew- shooter. I don't do a lot of marriage counseling. Well, this is our problem. This is our problem. You know, what do you think? And I'm thinking, I think there's no hope whatsoever. So I, I, I'm not a very good pastor sometimes. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, and every once in a while I actually say it. And so I, I say, hey, just, if you, you just need to completely submit your lives to Jesus Christ. And I've said that and I've seen that multiple times where it's happened and I'll tell you relationships that, are, that I can assure you are way worse than anything you've ever gone through. You haven't even come close. But when Jesus is Lord, then I'm not and I can enter into peace. Maybe what you've been longing for is good but the way you've been going about it is the problem. Remember Samson, so we did that story, Samson. He wanted, he wanted to be loved. God put that in you. But maybe it's just, would you be open to a new way? And, and then part of that is, is the, obviously, the biggest love toxin all, of all is bitterness. It says, love keeps no records of wrongs. And I, and I was thinking about this, is, okay, well, you know, the antidote to bitterness is I was thinking forgiveness, and I'm thinking, no, actually it's Jesus. Because that's part of saying forgiveness comes through the person of Jesus Christ. It's because he brings, he gives me the ability to love, to get rid of those love toxins, because love is a choice, And then I can do what it says in Colossians 3. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I I don't know where this series found you. I don't know where it found you in your personal life, your work life, your life with God, your relationships, maybe who you're dating or married to. But I do know that there's that fundamental choice we make. And that fundamental choice is the Jesus choice. There's maybe for you, it's, hey, you know what? I believe in Jesus, but is, is he really, am I allowing him to be the leader of my life when it comes to my, who I'm dating, how I'm dating, my marriage, my, my, my family relationships, and maybe for you, that's the, the hey, God, I'm, I need to take that step again. Or it could be that uh, it's the ultimate uh, Jesus choice, where you say, hey, I, I'm, I, I know that it makes sense, but I haven't uh, crossed the line of faith. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.